I used to roll back woods, rip the dawns, good wherever he goes. One million and one flows, depositing dough. Set you down with the mafia family, let me know. Yeah, number one, I don't do number two. They watching how I do, because I'm really hood. Red hoodie, gold jewelry, too groovy, might lose me. Don't approach with the foolery, keep the two on me, homie. You don't know me, rip the dawn, the one and only. All right, welcome back, y'all. So now let's talk about what happens from the ages of 11 to about 25. A lot of time goes by, a lot of experiences happen, a lot of sinning, a lot of repent, repenting, a lot of this, a lot of that. I had become a person that was struggling and battling himself. It was a challenge every day. One of the things my mother always told me to do, she would buy me Bibles for Christmas and stuff like that. One of the most important things that she's taught me was to read the word of God. That has helped me over the years. Especially when I'm hearing people talking about God, I always was taught to do your own research. The most sound thing that you could ever do is go to that book and look at those words that's in that book and remove all the interpretations and things of that nature. Growing up, 13, 14, 15, I distinctively remember reading the Bible. And here is my opinion when it comes to the Bible. For anybody that's coming in and reading the Bible for the first time, you're gonna probably do what everybody does, which is start in Genesis, which is the beginning of the Bible. And I completely understand why you would do that. It's just, it just makes sense chronologically. But if I might interject and give you my approach to reading the Bible, here's what I would suggest to somebody who doesn't really, you know, doesn't really want to read the Bible. Start with Proverbs. I would recommend everybody that's listening to my voice who doesn't quite want to go through the chronological thing at the beginning. Start at Proverbs. Proverbs is the most beautiful set of scriptures. I've read Proverbs so many times, and even to this day when I read Proverbs, I'm always discovering something new. It is almost like I've never read it at all. It's the craziest thing. Now, Proverbs is written by Solomon, a man who is described as the most wise man ever. It's my understanding that, uh, that Solomon asked God for wisdom. He asked God for wisdom, and, uh, and God blessed him with infinite wisdom. And it's my understanding that with that wisdom, he did many great things, but he also became corrupt because he had so much wealth, women and riches and all these different things. And as a result of having those riches and women and access, it started to turn his heart. Many times I pray for finances and, and billions of dollars. And then I always wonder why my father doesn't give it to me. And I think it might have a lot to do with the fact that I need to get mine slowly. Because I think if I get it too quickly, it will tarnish my character. I'm okay to say that. I feel like that is pretty accurate. That's a pretty accurate assessment. The Lord has not completely ignored that request from me, but I think he just gives it to me slowly so that I can get used to each step. Like, okay, now I'm at this level of money. All right, stay there for a while. Just get comfortable with it. Get comfortable with it. Next step. Okay, here you go. Here's another, another bag. Get comfortable first. God knows, the Lord knows, if I get too much money too quick, it could probably have some issues because I'll just be, I'll become like anybody. It's the same thing with a five-year-old. You give a five-year-old a whole birthday cake, they're not gonna know to take slices of it and eat it over a time span. They're gonna indulge and just 
just go head first into the cake and it will corrupt their teeth their character and all that they'll become hyper and start doing crazy stuff and i think that's what it was but i would say start with proverbs and i read proverbs i'm telling you it's almost like a, a rapper wrote proverbs like i'm serious go to proverbs and tell me i'm lying it's like it's like metaphors and assemblies and i'm like so, so even as i think about it now somebody from way back then wrote this this is why i say the bible is real it's a living document when i say a living document meaning that it never gets old or never dies it's always relevant it's always relevant no matter what happens you can go to that bible open it up and just read a random page of like that happened yesterday like seriously so i would say proverbs first and then while you at it jump on over there to revelations i mean we're talking about just you know excitement these are things when you read them you're like oh snap okay this is this is good hold on Sometimes when you start from Genesis, you get locked in. It's like, because uh, at one point in Genesis, they just start like naming all these names of people and generations. And you just be like, <laughs> you nod off because you like, you done been on, you've been talking about generation after generation after generation. And it's really amazing that the Bible tracked it that well. So that's, I love that part. I, I love it in, in essence. I love the fact that the Bible goes over the generations and names the people. I think that's amazing. I love that. I love it. But for a person that's like 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, trying to read all that, it could be a challenge. So I would say Proverbs, then jump over to Revelations and then jump over to Matthew. Matthew, I love Matthew. Love Matthew. I love, love, love Matthew. And then go over there to Exodus in the Old Testament. Start reading about what Moses was doing. It's some beautiful stuff there. But um, over those years, got into a lot of different things, breaking a lot of different rules. But I always remembered what I was taught growing up. I always remember those experiences I had in that church. I always remember that. I told myself, look, I can't read this whole Bible, you know, in one sitting. So I made a, a promise to myself every day, read one page. And I did that every single day. And I don't know how many pages were in my Bible, but however many pages it was, is how many days it took me to finish. I read the entire Bible from front to end, just one page a day. I got I got the full weight of the Bible over that time span. And I really needed it because at this particular time, I have been going through a lot of different changes in life. It is so important for parents to introduce their children to Christ early. And the Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and they'll never stray away from it. What you teach your child in the beginning is what becomes their foundation. Now, I'll be honest with you. I learned about Christ a little bit later than I should have, because underneath that is a foundation of a lot of mess. That foundation often battles with my experiences at the age of eight, nine, and 10, 11. They battle a lot. That doesn't have to happen when you have parents who are based in Christ and they raise their children in like fashion. My children, they're going to know about Christ from the beginning. I want them to be of age where they can understand it. So no matter how far I diverge from my Christian beliefs, I always had this, this, this sinking feeling in my body like, you know you're doing wrong. You're selling drugs and all that. You know what, what the Bible says about it. What I always did was I always kept like my hand just, I always held, I always kept like a foot in the church. I always kept a, a, a hand in the church. I always kept a, 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 a fingernail on God's toenail. <laughs> if that makes sense at all. Like I'm not going all the way into the, to the ocean. All right. I know where my safety is. My safety is, is God. 
It's Jesus. It's these angels. My safety is here. So, I'll, so like, if you can imagine me holding on to safety with my index finger, but dipping my whole body in, into the world of sin and craziness and girls and drugs and all that, that was me. But I wasn't letting go. I wasn't going to go full force world. Because here's the thing. When you go to public school and these public places, not everybody believes in the same thing. So you're just constantly battling with everybody else's systems okay smoking weed and smoking black and miles and going to this drinking gin all that that stuff was fun and it gave me a release and that is why i indulged but i understood that it was, i knew it was wrong when i was doing it but that wasn't going to stop me it wasn't going to stop me i had to go out there and try some things but here's where it all shifts when you go out there and you try all these different things guess what happens you get the results of that lifestyle and that's when it hits you wait a minute it was fun but now I'm sitting in a jail cell and that's happened. Or now I'm getting pulled over a lot. Now I'm starting to look different because you know I'm smoking so much or I'm, I'm doing drugs of this sort and this caliber. That's when it starts to hit you that it wasn't a free ticket. See, the devil will lie to people, right? And I don't even want to say his name in this, in, this, in this episode, but perhaps I have to in this case. The devil will trick you into giving you all this stuff, but he never tells you the fine prints and the fine details. He'll give you the fanciest cars, but he won't tell you that that fancy car could get you killed. He'll he'll give you the biggest Rolex, the biggest watch, but he won't tell you that he's also going to influence these people to try to take it. He don't tell you all that. He'll tell you, oh, join this, join this, this, or join that, but he don't tell you that you, you're walking around as a target 24 hours a day, and your, your life can be snatched from you. So he never tells you to, he never tells you to fine print. Now, because I was saved so early, I never really took, I never took a deal from the devil. I never cared about what he was talking about sure i indulged in the world sure i may have been around the influences of satan when it comes to hanging around certain guys and just smoking and doing you know stuff you know teenager stuff sure sure who, who is it, right but the point being i was already spoken for i had already given my soul and my, my life to god and i i don't i never took that back i never said you know what here took the the, the the certificate take it back i'm solid now, that never happened. So I was always spoken for. Always. So the point is, I went through a rebellious phase. We jumped to the age about 19. This is the height of my rebellious phase. This is when every day I'm just doing more and more things that are just so in opposition to Christ. From sleeping with several females, keeping pistols on me, smoking weed, drinking, cursing every sentence. This is that phase. And as I stated, as a result of that lifestyle, it came with a lot of things. You wanna know the special thing about accepting Jesus, about accepting God? He never leaves you. So no matter how far into the world you go, no matter how deep into the deep end you sink, he always got you. I remember distinctively during this time frame being in situations where, where I was supposed to die and the Lord jumping in and pulling me out at the last minute and protecting me. I don't want to go into all the stories because it's a lot of drama. It's a lot of things I don't want to like, you know, uproot and bring back to the surface. I've kind of buried those things. I'll give you three stories. And after that, I'll leave the past in the past. One story, I started selling weed. I went to the gas station to get some blunts or something like that. I had, to, I, I think I had ran out of money or something like that. So I had some CDs of like my own music. So I would stand outside the gas station and sell the CDs in hopes that somebody would buy them and I would get some money for some blunts or some chili fries. Cause Detroit is just a different animal. It's like, you gotta hustle if you wanna make it. If y'all wondering like, how do you got so many hustles? Why he do so many different things? Cause that's how you got it. That's how it is in the Midwest and Detroit. You gotta hustle. Like if you don't hustle, you're just gonna be broke. 
So I had to sell anything and everything I had. And I still I still got that same mentality, except it's not drugs no more. <laughs> and, and music all the time. It's, 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 all, it's everything. It's a whole bunch of legal stuff. Legal stuff. But anyway, this one day, I'll never forget it. I'm out there and the gas station clerk must have called the police. This was the most haterish thing. That dude, know he knew me. He knew me from the neighborhood. And I spent many a dollars inside that gas station. But this day, he just was not feeling it. I'll never forget. I looked to my left and whoop, whoop. Some police officers pulled up. Now, mind you, in my back left pocket was about three bags of weed because I was selling weed. Not a lot, but it was three bags in my back left pocket. And I'm just hearing the cops warp up on me. And you can imagine how terrifying that was. The police pulled up on me and said, hey, get on the wall, get on the wall. So I turned my hands on the wall. I'm like, hey, man, I didn't even do nothing, man. I'm just selling my music. I turned my hands on the wall and I had the worst feeling in the world. I, I realized I'm about to go to jail and get my first charge. Like I'm about to I'm about to get charged. I, I know he's going to find his weed. He starts to pat me all over the place. He all in my ears, on my nose, my lips, checking on my shirt, you know. He gets down to my pockets. He taps my, my side pockets. He even goes in my right pocket. And do you know, by the grace of God, he turned me back around and said, hey, man, are you supposed to be here? You you doing some business? No? Go home. Go home. I'll never forget that day, man. If he would have just checked my left pocket, I would have went to jail. Just that simple. And I don't say that to say that the Lord will protect you when you're in your when you're in the wrong. But what you have to understand about accepting Jesus is that he protects you. You become a part of the family. And just like any family, sometimes y'all have breakouts and, you know, you don't get along with your family. But you don't ever stop loving them, do you? I mean, it don't matter how bad that person is. You never stop caring about them. You never stop giving them an open door to come back. Many a times I've been in the wrong. I done wore my dad's shoes and wore them out and messed his shoes up and or took his clothes. But he ain't never ever said, son, you done took too many of my Jordans and messed up all my shoes. Get out the house. He probably kicked me out once, once or twice. But he ain't never say, get out my house forever. It was almost like, it was always like a chastisement. And then like, Hey, but I love you. He always brought me back. That's what accepting Jesus is and being in that family. You're going to fall off and make some mistakes because a lot of people think that you can't can't join Jesus or can't be with Jesus because you've been in a world of sin. Please, you're the best person to join. Christians are not perfect. In fact, we're some of the worst people's people on the planet. Go to a church. You'll, you'll find out we are some of the worst people on the planet. Christians are not perfect. We're just protected. We understand by being imperfect that we need to be saved. We, we know we need a savior. That's kind of the point of being saved. Not being saved is almost saying like, hey, I'm perfect. I don't make any mistakes. I don't need Jesus. I'm good. When I get in front of the guy, he's going to say, this guy has did nothing. This lady has been completely perfect. You're, you're a welcome man. You, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't need my son. Christians are like, we're terrible people. We need your son or else we're doomed. That's what Christian, that's what I am. I'm just speaking for myself. So the, the Lord saved me on that day. Call me crazy, but he saved me on that day. The Lord can see your whole life. He already know what your life and your steps is going to be. He already know. He already knew that I wasn't going to be this drug dealer, this kingpin. He knew I was going to be the guy I'm talking to, the guy that's before you today. He realized that that was a, that was a phase and that at some point he would use my life for this purpose, to bring more souls in. And he saved me. He protected me several times. That's just one time. I'll never forget. I was having some beef with a guy in my neighborhood. And we eventually worked it out. And I'm not going to go through all the situations. It's a good story. I'll probably tell it 
tell it later. But long story short, guns got involved. After the confronta confrontation between me and that guy, I went to my house, grabbed my, my uh, shotgun, and my father told me to get out. Because he's like, you bringing too much trouble to the house. You're going to get somebody hurt. Your grandma in here. You got to leave. So I grabbed my shotgun, and I went to that same gas station and saw the guy I had a problem with. Now, this guy was a, was a, was a, was a, was a shooter. You know what I'm saying? And I had the shotgun in my lap. I'll never forget. And he saw me. This is like right after our fight, like a day or two. It's like the hood is buzzing off this. So I saw him at the gas station and all I did was had the gun on my lap. And I don't know what made me do this. I looked right in his eyes and said, I don't even know what it means to this day. And he just got off his motorcycle, went to the store, got on his motorcycle and left. I have no idea what that meant. I, even to this day, I'm like, he was a shooter. Why didn't he like engage? Like I was right there. I had a shotgun on my lap, like a handgun is like, you can just shoot it off. But a shotgun, you got a racket. I'm in a car, so it's going to probably hit the hit the, hit the the ceiling of the car. I mean, I couldn't wrap the gun. Like, we had just gotten into a fight. Having a shotgun on my lap was just in case he had a gun, I could protect myself. But in that situation, he didn't pull out. A, he didn't draw. So I, I didn't draw. I just kind of like, okay, let's see where this goes. Later that day, I ended up having to leave my house. So I, I went to the gas station to get gas because I had to go all the way to the east side of Detroit. I go to see my my my, uh, my sister's father and something tell me to go and kick it with him because he's a he he just was like this crazy, crazy. So I go over there, kick it with him. I let him know what's going on in the hood. And he like just kind of coaching me up like, hey man, do this, do that, do this, do that. I get back on the road to go to, I don't know where I was going. I was in a bucket. I was in a Regal. It was a Regal. And it had like, like hubcaps on it. I had just had barely had enough to buy that car. I think I bought that car for like $400. One thing about Motor City, you can get you can get you a car you can get a car for a dollar <laughs> hey man you got a car yeah what you need top of the line bottom 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 oh i got you five dollars i can get if you can get a car for like nothing out there so i had i had scraped up like two hundred dollars for this regal and that mug looked like it was a two hundred dollar regal but i'm driving i didn't have no way to get no insurance i ain't have no way to get no no uh no no tags so I, we had this this little scam in Detroit where you go to, to your neighbor, they got like a little printer, and they'll print off these little these temporary stickers that you can put on your car for like 14 days or something like that. So I had it was in your window, you put it in your window. So I put the 14 day sticker in my window because I ain't have no money to do nothing else. You know what I'm saying? I had to sell a couple CDs, get a tag, and just ride dirty. <laughs> so in this case, it's late at night. I'm coming from the east side of Detroit, riding super dirty. I got the shotgun on my lap. I got no, I don't got a license plate on the ride, bro. Listen, I hear, I hear sirens behind me. Man, my, 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 I was like, I'm going to jail. I'm going to jail. Uh they got me. I'm done. The lady, it was a lady cop. I never forget it. She came to my car and knocked on my my window with a flashlight. Now, mind you, I got a shotgun on my lap. Like, look down. Shoddy baby. Now I put the shotgun inside some plastic. I don't know why I did that. Oh, because it's a shotgun. That's probably why I did it. I put the shotgun inside some plastic as like a way to conceal it, I guess. So she knocks on the window with the uh with the flashlight and I roll the the window down. She says, Sir, uh, do you realize that you have false tags on your on your car? I forgot what I said. But I was like, uh are you sure? Like I probably said something like that knowing myself. Are you sure? I like I, I got them from uh social security office, whatever it was. But she was like Sir, we're gonna get we're gonna let you off today, but you need to go take care of your vehicle. You need to get it registered. You need to get some things, blah, blah, blah. Take that fake thing out your when you get home, take that thing out your window because we know it's fake. And she's looking in my car, and at even one point she looked down, right? Looking through the car, and she said, Now be on your way and remember what I told you. Take that thing out your window. And she walked away. 
Boy, when she left, I started praying and thanking God. Listen, I ain't never, I don't care how deep into the world of sin I got, I never, ever stopped praying. I never stopped believing in God. I never lost faith. I never took my index finger off his toe. I always, always knew where all my blessings and stuff was coming from. Every they, It got so dangerous in my neighborhood where every day, I, no, I'm sorry, every week, like on, on a, every Sunday, it was a ritual where I had to get on my knees and just thank the Lord for being alive. I'm like, Lord, I don't know how I made it to this Sunday with all the stuff that's going on in the hood, but I thank you because it just got so bad. I was thanking the Lord every single week. Like it was like it was like a, a TV drama where next week you might not be there, but then the next week you there, you like, thank you. I, oh, thank you, Jesus. Like, I guess you don't want me to die yet. It was like that. When, she, when the cop left the way, I got in that car and I drove my butt up out of there. And I don't know where I went or what I did after that, but I do know this. I knew right for, I knew for a fact that the Lord had, had shielded that gun from that from that cop. If that cop saw that shotgun on, on my lap, I wouldn't be right here in front of you today telling you the story. And it is my belief, and I'm very sure about this belief, that I was protected by my God because he knew that his son was going through a time, a trial, a period of time. The things I was doing at that time was not my entire existence. He preserved me so I can get to this point in my life and tell these stories so that people can understand. Mothers, fathers, get your kids in the church. Listen, I'm, I'll be the first one to tell you. I don't really, I don't go to church anymore because I'm, I'm noticing that a lot of these churches, churches are businesses and they're putting money before Christ and I can't get down with that. They're asking for tithes two or three times, not really telling you the context behind tithing. They're using these scriptures to make you feel bad about not giving money to the church. Not telling you that that particular scripture is talking about a very specific group of people, about a very a very specific time like giving should be optional it should be something you're doing from the heart not something you're shamed into doing but they never tell you some of the stuff there are some real churches out there i'm saying a lot of modern churches have lost the concept behind what they're supposed to be doing it's not about building your church up and getting more blocks and more more this and more this that it's about preaching the word of god and saving souls and if that ain't what your church is doing something's wrong the last story that i'll tell you is one of the most disgraceful things I did during this period. I'm telling you this as a way to warn you. This is probably the, the lowest point in my life. If you ask me, what is the lowest point in your walk with God? This story is the answer. After some time, I had finally stopped smoking marijuana and I moved back with my mother and I was getting prepared to go back to college because when I stopped smoking marijuana, my brain woke up and it was just like, I gotta, I gotta get my life together, man. I'm still living with my dad in the basement. I'm fighting with dudes, shooting and shootouts and all this crazy stuff. I need to get my life together. I moved out of my father's house as soon as I stopped smoking weed and I moved back with my mother. And when I moved with her, it was a reality check. First off, I was back into a structured environment because my mother and my stepfather, they were still going to church. They were still believing from the earlier days. I was the renegade black sheep. Just like I actually left my mother's house at the age of 16 to go live with my father because my stepfather and I had got into it. I just was tired of the structure and the rules. I just couldn't live like that. So I broke out and just tried to just, I just went wild. That's what happened. Going wild came with a lot of side effects that I did not see in the fine prints. And I said, I get it, Lord. I hear it. I'm out of here. And I left the hood that day and probably ain't been back. For real, for real. I, I went to go live with my mother. And the thing about living in that household, my stepfather was not letting me just be a grown 21-year-old, 20-year-old in a house just sitting down watching TV rapping. It was like, you got to get a job, bro. Or you got to get out. For me, it was like there were no jobs in Detroit. Trust me, I would I would have loved to work in Detroit. I I wanted so bad to have a job. I went to every place. It was no job, so that left left me with no opportunities but to go back to school. So I started filling out applications to get back into school. I did everything successfully, but they were saying you have to wait about three months because 
that semester has already started and there's no more openings for those classes that you need. So you can jump in in the fall. So that left me with three months to get my life together in order to prepare for this transition in my life. So naturally, I had to get some money. I had to figure out how, how am I going to build up enough capital? I was praying every day. This is when my walk with God started to become supernatural. When I started, well, I just told you some supernatural things to happen. But my life is starting to become very supernatural where I'm just seeing things I'm not supposed to see. I'm doing things I'm not supposed to be able to do. I'm doing miraculous things at this point. I think that happens the worse you are in life. A lot of times, these kind of miracles that you see or the miracles that I saw, I believe that, that, that they were the direct result of the lifestyle I was living. The Lord had to protect me from a lot of stuff. So occasionally, he would bend the rules of reality for me to get through it. He would have to blind the cop so they couldn't see the gun on my lap or he would have to make the cop touch the wrong pocket or something just so I can get through that little terrible phase of that moment so that he can get me through to where I'm at today. That's what it was, man. He broke the rules of the matrix in order to get me through. I remember this one time, last story about the whole crip battling situation. I never forget the guy, we end up making it, we, we end up getting cool. But just before that, I was walking to a, a gas station or store or something like that. And I heard, I heard gunshots. The dude that was shooting was the guy I had just gotten a fight fight with. The guy I met at the gas station I did this to. I saw him in a van. He had a very, like, it was a terrible, terrible, scary van. Every time I saw this van, it's like, somebody about to get shot. Every time I saw the van. So I saw the van, and he was shooting. And I'm like, who was he shooting? I knew I, I knew it was him as soon as I saw the van. But I hear shooting. I'm looking at him like, oh, shit. He, he about to start. He about to, he's shooting at me or something, I guess. But then I seen this boy, like, sprinting, like, <laughs> I knew the boy. He was like a new new guy in the hood. Every once every once in a while in the hood, you had this random person pop up, like, and they'd be like, "Oh, that's uh, so and so, somebody who was there before you got there, most likely, probably a year or two, and then they left." But anyway, the dude was running past me, like, and was shooting at the guy. And when he saw when he saw me, he already had the gun in his hand. Our beef was still fresh, still fresh. He stopped shooting, and actually, he looked at me and said, and "I was like," <laughs> and the dude is sprinting. I say that to say that. He was shooting at the guy and i'm pretty sure that the guy he was shooting at that he had a problem with didn't do what i did to him which was we had gotten into a fight nobody was supposed to challenge this guy i got in the fight with him so whoever the guy was i know he didn't touch him i know he didn't touch the shooter that i'm talking about i know he didn't because nobody touched him only reason i touched him because he touched me first i had i was like forced him it's like my it was a reflex he touched me and i touched him back my mistake i was like oh i didn't mean to do that one. Ooh, okay don't want to go into the story but he had a gun in his hand all he had to do was aim it at me and squeeze. And he was a shooter. It wasn't no reason why he wouldn't have did it. I have no idea why he didn't do it. That's still to this day, like, if I could ask him without sounding weird. And I, I don't think he would want to have a conversation about it. Because I, I, I always think that, like, he thinks back at that time and just, like, wonder why he didn't just kill me. And it's probably because I wasn't a killable target. Like, I was, like, fighting back. Like, I had, I, I was ready to kill, too. So, I think that had a, a little bit in it. But I'm just going to just say God just protected me. I'm just going to go there. Because, I, I mean, yeah, I mean. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I think I think it was just God. I don't know. I don't think it was me. The Lord started to bend reality and change things for me in order for me to get through certain scenarios. And I start to see it. It's almost like your life being fake, right? And there's somebody that's orchestrating and changing and doing all these things that make your life what it is. And then, then all of a sudden you look and you see something in the corner of your eye, you're like, I just saw somebody right there. And then you go look and it's like, hey, I'm I'm God. I'm sorry. You wasn't supposed to see me. It was starting to be like that, where I was seeing stuff like, I know I, I, I know I saw that. I know I saw that. Or something that happened, like, I know I just had a gun on my lap. Why didn't the cop? Like, you know what I'm saying? It was stuff like that. So I started to get spoiled. I'll be honest. As I'm preparing to get getting trans, getting trans, transition to go to college, I went out. I, I would burn CDs. I turned my mother's office into a record label. I would take my music 
put it on CDs. I would go to Target first off, get a, a hundred spindle of CDs, go to my mom's office, burn a hundred CDs. I would get her copy paper. I would fold the copy paper around the CDs, put the title on a, on a, on a, on a copy paper, and I would put a hundred CDs in my backpack, leave out, leave out at like 10 o'clock, and I would, hit the, I would hit the streets with my music and would not come back home till about 11. I would walk miles, and every person I saw, I would say, hey, you, you listen to hip hop? My, my rationale was this, a hundred, a hundred spindle of CDs is like $12. So I would burn a hundred CDs for $12, and I would sell them from $1 to five. Most times it was $1, but when you buy a hundred spindles for $12 and you make a hundred dollar profit, I'm pretty sure you can do the math on that. That's a $88 profit. I was making $88 off of, off of 12. At that particular point, I had enough of selling crack and drugs. I, I had terrible experiences with that. I was done with it. So this was a legal way to make money. It only cost me $12 to be activated. And then I made $88 off the back end. So it was beautiful. The hard part was I'm a unknown artist out here trying to make money and I'm only I'm moving off the faith that I have in Christ that's what got me up in the morning and got me out there I would go out there sell these CDs come back in the house around like nine o'clock no CDs with a pocket full of ones and and and, and fives just just and then I just dump it out like oh that was the hardest hundred and thirty dollars I've had to make in my life it was so hard making that money man it felt good though it was like I just did the impossible. That's what it felt like I was doing. I just took a hundred CDs and I just flipped them to everybody. I had to talk to everybody in the language that they listened in. They listened in, and I had to convince them that I was hot without letting them hear I was hot. You know, and it was it was a beautiful thing, man. I I I'll never forget those those times. But I got spoiled because the Lord would just keep blessing me to be able to do that, and He blessed me with a vehicle I was able to drive. But one day I saw this really beautiful car. I um was walking past, like I was on my little trail selling CDs. I was walking past this car, like a used car dealership. And I walked in like, hey guys, I'm just selling music, blah, blah, blah. They were like, nah, man, we ain't looking for no music, but we got some cars if you want to come, blah, blah, blah. So long story short, I ended up wanting one of those cars. It's a Grand Prix, beautiful Grand Prix. And remember, I'm on my way to go to college. So I want to I want to arrive at Eastern Michigan University in a Grand Prix. Not that Grand Dam I was in. And what I did was, Instead of getting one spindle, I ended up getting like three spindles, 300 CDs in the backpack out for even longer. I ain't sell them all in one day, but it, I was getting them off. Like I was selling them like hotcakes. Like, hey, hey, I'll give it to you for a dollar, bro. You want it for a dollar? All right, bet. You want two for You want two for a dollar? I was getting them off. I'm just trying to get money rolling in. And eventually I had saved up about three grand just off straight off, off of music. It's a beautiful accomplishment. My mother was like, just, just astonished. Like you turned my office into a record label. Like, you got your CDs, you got the prints, and she was astonished. And she was a business owner, so I ain't really, you know, she always had money, like, she, you know, but I didn't really want to, I didn't, I ain't, she was cheap, though. She didn't just give me the money. I, just, I had to make my own money. But anyway, I had, had got, like, three grand. I went to the dealership, like, hey, bro, gave him $3,000 cash. Drove the Grand Prix off, and oh, my God, oh, my gosh. The feeling I got from driving that Grand Prix was absolute euphoria it was the greatest feeling i've ever felt even to this day driving the car that grand prix it just it had, i started driving past my old girlfriend's house and all that type of stuff but one day i drove over some some railroad tracks and i hit something because the grand prix sat low i hit something i started pushing the gas and it wasn't moving so i ended up pulling into a wendy's parking lot and i get to the window i get my food and i push the gas pedal and it doesn't move. And I do that so long that the car starts to just start to move real slow. The transmission ended up blowing. Because I'm pushing the gas pedal so hard. Because there's some kind of leak at the bottom of the car. But I don't know about cars. It was some kind of problem that made the trans go out. So now my engine just failed. 
and my transfer. So I end up get, just gassing it, like, trying to get home, and my car ended up just shutting off. Here's the part I don't tell you. One day I got so upset because I was trying to I was trying to sell this grand dam so bad. Nevertheless, one night it was super late. I had been out all day pushing CDs, trying to make enough money to get this Grand Prix, along with pushing those CDs. I had a cell phone on me, was waiting all day long for somebody to call me and say, hey man, I wanna grab that Grand Dam from you. I think I was trying to sell it for like $2,500 or something like that. I was on, I had it on Craigslist, I had it on everything, just trying to get rid of it. I had posters at all the gas stations and I had got so spoiled because God had always give, given me what I wanted that when I was praying like, Lord, help me sell this Grand Dam so I can get this Grand Prix. He didn't get, he didn't do it. He didn't do it this time. Like usually I'll, I'll ask, ask God for something and he would make it happen. Like it was almost like, instantaneous a lot of times. I mean, I asked them to help me sell 100 CDs. Like, who's doing that? Go grab, go, go burn 100 CDs and try to sell them all in one day. Trust me, it's gonna be difficult. I had been selling CDs that whole day. I had like a lot of money in, a lot of, a lot of street money. It wasn't no, no thousands. It was a couple hundred dollars. But a, a couple hundred dollars feels good when you manufactured it from your own hustle and your own imagination. That felt great. You know, me burning these CDs and, and making this big profit off of that. To make that $3,500 was gonna take several days of hitting the streets. And trust me, I felt every bit of trying to sell 100 CDs in my body. I was exhausted. So I needed this card, my grand dam to sell in order for me to get this Grand Prix. And I, I was praying so hard. I'm talking about I was praying hard. I was probably fasting and everything. The Lord would not allow this grand dam to sell. So one night I'm walking, I think I probably left my, yeah, I left my grand dam at the house because when you're, you're selling CDs person to person, being in a car just doesn't help. You need, you need to be on the streets, like literally walking the pavement and every person you see talking to them. And anytime I saw a gas station, that was like, okay, let's set up shop here and let's try to push about 15 CDs at this gas station. And then we'll go to the next one. And we just got kept moving in that particular space. This one night on my way home, it's dark. I remember like it was yesterday. It was like 8.38 PM. And I'm walking towards my, my home after a long day of selling CDs. I forgot if I sold them all or not. I did something I never did in my life and I cursed God. I said some of the most nastiest things because he was not allowing my grand dam to sell. I had did everything I was supposed to do. I prayed, I posted my my posters all on all these gas stations. I was talking to people, I, I was calling people, calling people back, and usually he rewarded me for that type of stuff. So when I didn't get a call about my grand dam, I got so upset, like, you know, I, I was talking to him normally, and I probably shouldn't even be telling you this, it was a personal conversation. I'm talking to, to God like, you know what I got coming up. You know I'm about to go to this new this new school and you know I need a I, I need a I need a, I need a car despite having a car already. You know I need a car, you know what I'm trying to do, you know what I'm you know what I'm going through. I start cursing God. Like I said some of the most nastiest things. I said you I said you I don't even want to repeat them. But I'll say maybe one of the things I said. Like you're not real. I probably said something to that effect. I said a lot of other nasty things. This is the first time. It was like the equivalent of that one time. If you got one of those like mean parents that you never talk back to, it was that one time you did. It, it felt like that because you just was so, so fed up at your parents that one time that you just went off. You probably got your butt slapped, but for that one moment, you, you had to say what you had to say. You knew what was coming, but you just had to get it off your chest. I had to say what I had to say. I was upset with him. And I never forget after I said all that stuff, I was expecting like a, a, a thunderbolt, the, the shock to the, the, the come through the clouds or nothing. It was just silence. Like this. After I said all that nasty stuff, it was just silence. Like, And I wasn't used to that. Because 
I was always talking with God, and I would always hear his voice all the time. I get home, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm looking, checking through my phones. I'm, I'm upset. I probably got to tear my eyes. I'm just so upset. I can't sell this old grand dam for this beautiful Grand Prix before I go to college. And I can stun on these girls and show them I'm Rick the Dawn like I really got to. The next day, something said, go to the gas station. And I'm like, all right. So I go to the gas station. I'm driving my grand dam. I, I drove my grand dam to the gas station to get some gas. It was a guy up there. I was like, hey, man, you know somebody looking for a grand dam? He was like, how much you want for it? I was like, I'm trying to get 25. He's like, I ain't got 25, bro. I can't do that one. I can I can probably do uh, 1,000. I was like, can you do at least 12, 1,200? He was like, I, let me, I don't know, man. Give me your number. Uh, I, I'll call you if I can do it. So I gave him my number. I'm like, he ain't going to call me back. I mean, I've been doing this every single day. I'll never forget. About five o'clock that day, he was like, "Hey, bro, I'm coming to get the car for 11. Can you do 11? That's a that's a big drop from the 2500 I needed. But at that time, I was so desperate to get this grand damn off, and I said, "I'm gonna get this grand damn out the way, and I'll make up the rest of the money myself." I went to the gas station, and and lo and behold, homie gave me $1100. I gave him my grand damn, and I had added I had that $1100 to add to the money I was stacking every day to get this grand prix. About a, a couple more days in the streets, I made up the difference, and I went to that. That dealership, that used car dealership, I put that money in that man's hand. I said, hey, I'm here to get that Grand Prix like I told you, boy. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get it. That mug was so beautiful. I said, this is the most beautiful experience I've ever had. <laughs> Driving that Grand down off your own hustle, man. We're not talking about a, a loan from somebody. Somebody giving you some money and you go to the dealership and you ball out. I'm talking about you put your CDs, you went to Target. You bought the, the CD spindle. You burnt the CDs. You put the CDs and wrapped them up. You you hit the streets. You sold you sold every CD by yourself, and then you go and then you sold your car by yourself, and then you go to the grant the, uh, the, uh, the dealership and you put that money in his hand and say, "I want give me the keys." Nothing beats that feeling. And as I've already said. I get in that grand dam. I flag. I'm, I'm going back in my old hood. I'm back on Joy Roller. Hey, what up, man? By that point, I had already moved out of my, my father's house. And everybody like, hey, what up, Rick? We ain't seen you in a while. Where you been at? Yeah, you see what I've been at? Don't you see this? Don't you see this car? That's where I've been at. Boy, come on now. You see this, don't you? Two days later, the car broke down. I had run, ran over something that was like sticking up out of the railroad tracks. It hit an oil thing thing. I ended up pushing the gas so hard I messed up the trans and the engine. I called the guy back at the dealership. He was like, man, go ahead and bring it up here, bro. I'll, I'll try to fix it for you. But man, we didn't really expect this. Now, what he probably didn't tell me was this car was basically rigged to, to break down pretty soon. He didn't tell me that. So he brought, he was like, I'm gonna have my mechanics work on it. I brought the car up there, had his mechanics work on it for about a couple days. Two days had passed, that car broke down again. Now, what do you think the moral of the story is? Let's look at the sequence of events. I was blessed with a Grand Dam that was rock solid. If I would have kept that Grand Dam, we're talking about, this was like the year 2005. If I would have kept that Grand Dam, that car, that car would probably still be running. That's how strong that Grand Dam was. I got tempted into wanting more than what I had. Despite having enough, I still wanted more. I wanted more than what I already need. I, I had enough. I still wanted more. I cursed God when he didn't give me what I needed to get more to get this Grand Prix. The Lord had, you know, in hindsight, he had blessed me with a grand dam that was, that was more than efficient. And this grand dam was low key. It was not going to draw the wrong type of attention like the Grand Prix would have. But when I cursed him, when I cursed God to teach me a lesson, and I'm not even sure I'm, he, he will ever forgive me for that time. I don't think he will. When I cursed him, he allowed me to get what I wanted. And he allowed me to have this 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 car that I was I wanted so bad. But God already knew what would come of having that Grand Prix. I didn't know. And this is why we need God. 
He knows what's coming, what's, what, what could happen. What, what, he knows all that stuff. So that's why you pray to him every day and you build a relationship. And he protects you as a result. He gave me the Grand Prix after I cursed him out. And I, I was very disrespectful. He gave me the Grand Prix. And he allowed some stranger to take my blessing. That stranger has a beautiful granddam, probably done gave it to his grandkids. Now, somebody, he, he took my granddam for a lesser price. So my blessing became his blessing. I wanted 2,500 for it. So not only did he get a, a beautiful granddam for about a, he got it for a grand. And what I get? I had a, I was right back where I started. In fact, I wasn't even where I was, where I started. Cause I started with a granddam. I was lower than where I, where I started. Now I didn't have a car at all. I had this beautiful shell of a car. And the moral of the story is sometimes God will protect you from yourself. Sometimes when the Lord says no about something, he's doing it for a reason. It's the same thing when you when you're when you were a kid and your mother said you can't go over someone so house. It's because she's trying to protect you. He's trying to protect you from something that you can't understand at the age that you're at. Not giving me the money to get that Grand Prix or allowing me to sell my granddam was his way of saying, you don't need the Grand Prix. You have what you need. I know what getting that Grand Prix will, will, will do to you. When you get that Grand Prix, that dude's going to take your money and pretend to fix your car and you're going to be screwed. In fact, you're going to get a car that's broken from the start. No car breaks down that easy from just driving over train railroad tracks. No car. That car was doomed from the start. And... When I cursed God, he gave me what I wanted, what I thought I needed, and I paid a severe price. That mistake set me back for like six years. Even when I went to college, I didn't have a car. So I was still like walking everywhere because of that one situation. If you don't get nothing from this, this story, don't ever curse God. Don't ever doubt God. When, when, when stuff don't look a certain way in your life, let it be because he's doing something that you can't understand if you're his. If you're his child, you're, you're saved, baptized, tongues, repent, pray all, all the time, got a relationship with God, don't ever doubt him. When you take those vows and you go down in that water and that baptism and you accept the Lord as your Lord and Savior, it better be that. Don't ever doubt God. I'm very ashamed of that time, but there's one thing that I'm not ashamed of, the lesson I learned. And from that point forward, I never doubted God again. I never questioned God again. When something didn't go my way, I knew that was him protecting me from that day forward. I knew that, okay, I didn't get that record deal, but I'm not upset about it because I know he's watching over me and I know he knows my journey. I'm not upset that that girl turned me down. I'm not upset that she don't want to be with me because the Lord knows something that I can't see. He knows that this is going to happen, that going to happen. That is the moral of that situation. That is what accepting Jesus brings to your life. It gives you somebody who can watch over your life and help cover up certain loopholes and to protect you from yourself and keep you out of harm's way. That's what accepting Jesus does. And that's why I always, I, I wish I had a bullhorn and a mountain high enough so I can tell all these mothers in these, in these, these, these poor communities, Get your son, even if you don't get him into a church, get your son, get your sons saved. If you're a mother and you're, you're hearing this story and you feel touched by what I'm saying, make sure your son is saved by Jesus Christ. I don't know if the other gods out there is true and I'm not here to say they're not. I just know the one that I'm serving is the real deal. And he protected me from my whole life. That's what I do know. I don't like speaking on what I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus Christ is not real. He's very real. It's a difference. You have to get your sons saved, covered in the blood of Jesus. You want to know why I probably dodged all those bullets and, and potholes and tr tr troubles? Because my mother was always praying for me. And I believe strongly that the Lord heard my mother's prayers. Every time I called my mother when I was li living with my dad, she would say, I'm praying for you, son. 
I know you, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I'm praying for you. She always prayed for me. No matter what I was doing, smoking weed, selling crack, doing whatever, she was praying for me. And by the way, I was praying for myself. I strongly believe that as a result of that, those prayers and the sacrifices that were made and the things that were done in the order that they were done. And don't forget, there's like 17 stories I'm not telling you where the Lord completely saved me from stuff. There's 17, 17 or more stories I haven't even spoken of. And I probably won't ever. Because they're personal. That's part two for you. You know, accepting Jesus part two. This is the kind of stuff that brings people close to God. When they hear real, authentic stories. That's what the Bible is. It's nothing but real stories from real people. And the reason I know they're not fairy tales is because I've seen miracles. If my life was in a Bible book and they said that a guy was pulled over and a cop didn't see the gun, they'd be like, oh, that's fairy tale. It's real. It happened. It happened. And I, like I said, there's a lot, a lot of stuff I ain't telling you that happened. The Lord protect me from. But anyway, that's that part.